0: We do appreciate you being here uh, with us this morning. Thank you so much. Um, I know some of you are either just wrapping up spring break or on spring break and great weather for spring break. Um, (laughs) Fantastic. And uh, I know I saw for this coming week we're supposed to get up to, I think, close to 70 degrees. Perfect, right? Snow, 20s on Sunday, 70s on Wednesday. And uh, yet here you are. So thank you for coming out in spite of the snow and a spring break, and um, the cold weather, you're here, and we're delighted you're with us. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 13. If you're using a Pew Bible, it's page 849. I'm going to ask you to find that, page 849, Pew Bible, find it in your uh, apps, find it on your copy of God's Word. We're going to be reading the entirety of the chapter this morning as we work through this. Uh, we've been in a series in the Gospel of Mark, And we've been doing things a little bit differently in this series. Instead of going verse by verse covering the entirety of the Gospel of Mark, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark chapter by chapter. Chapter. So what we've been doing on Sunday mornings is selecting a particular portion in each chapter to focus in on. And uh, those of you that are in connect groups, you know that in your connect groups, uh, you're then focusing in on the rest of the chapter and all that's within there. Uh, But we've been going chapter by chapter and selecting certain verses. Well, this morning, as we come to Mark 13, we find a chapter in which Jesus is going to speak to his disciples about future things some of which we now look back on as being fulfilled, and some of which, as leadership here at Maranatha, we've arrived in teaching that are yet to be fulfilled, Uh, things that have to do with eschatology or end times events. Uh, As is the case with any prophetic passages or eschatology, passages that lend itself to eschatology, uh, the careful study of these events and appropriate understanding of of those events does take a great deal of study. A lot of context is needed, a lot of understanding of various different verses and prophetic passages to interpret Scripture with Scripture to arrive at accurate conclusions. Those of you that have studied eschatology, you know that to be true. To be able to study and lay out with clear understanding all of the events that Jesus is going to describe in Mark 13 this morning would be quite a task because we've kind of parachuted in here to Mark chapter 13 in the middle of a study on the gospel of Mark. Um, in particular, it would be difficult because we haven't been focusing in on end times things to this point. And really, as we'll look at, as we read the chapter together and consider the chapter, each section proves to be pretty difficult to separate from the other sections. Um, they flow into each other, and to try to pull one section out over the other would be especially difficult difficult in a time that we have before us this morning, uh, because there really is a need for understanding and explanation of a great deal of passages in order to set all of the parameters and context to the events Jesus is laying out here in Mark chapter 13. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. What I'd like to do is I don't want to skip past these events that Jesus is describing here, so I would like to give us an overview, a brief overview of the prophetic events that Jesus is referencing here in Mark chapter 13. And then I also want to then spend the majority of our time focusing in this morning on truths that we see in the passage that I believe are very important and relevant for us to understand this morning. I want to focus specifically on six truths that we will see are not only true of past events, but will be true of future events but are also true for the present day and age in which we are living. Let me begin uh, by reading the chapter. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 13, follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations." And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious before him what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates." Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Everybody take a deep breath. Because there is a lot there. There's a lot there. And you can imagine if we were to try to cover these 37 verses in detail, contextually understanding all of these events in detail. would be very difficult, pretty much impossible this morning in the time we have before us this morning. But I want to begin by just kind of setting the tone and setting the context here in verses 1 through 4, that if you look back at verses 1 through 4, we kind of see the setting for what Jesus is going to be teaching here in what's been known as the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus on the Mount of of Olives. He begins the chapter by proclaiming that the magnificent temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. He tells his disciples that when he says uh, there's not going to be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. This prophetic announcement that Jesus was making here, predicting that this would take place, uh, did take place and took place in A.D. 70 in the destruction that was seen in Jerusalem by the Romans. The temple was destroyed just as Jesus said it would be. In verse 3 we see Jesus and four of his disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, sitting on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to give instruction now. And again, that's why this is often referenced as the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus teaching from the Mount of Olives to these four disciples that were with him. And the disciples are going to ask him a question that is going to lead in to the rest of Jesus' teaching in this chapter. And here's the question they ask. They ask Jesus, when will these things be? When will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished or fulfilled? Now, in Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse, we see a bit more clarity about the specifics of the question that they were asking Jesus here. Matthew records for us in Matthew twenty-four, three. Now, as he Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming?" And of the end of the age. So you see, the disciples here still very much anticipating and expecting that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was soon to be establishing himself as their king, right? As their king, setting his throne up. Uh, fully expecting that this is going to take place at some point in the very near future, or asking Jesus not just about the destruction of the temple, but they want to know what are going to be the signs of His coming, what is going to be the sign of the end of all of these things. When will you be king? When will you be setting things up, Jesus? And so the verses that follow, Jesus is going to share with them some pretty important and sober realities. He's going to share with them the reality of the persecutions that they will face, the hardships that they will face, the turmoil that will be present in the world, and the absolute ultimate destruction of this world. He's going to share with them of future persecutions for the disciples and his followers. He's going to share of the coming tribulation period that's described here as such has never been experienced on the earth. And he's also going to share with them about his second coming to this earth. Now, by way of a brief overview, as a church, when it comes to eschatology or the study of end times events, we would teach and hold to a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. We would believe that there is coming a point in time where Jesus is going to call up the church, and we will be with him. We will meet him in the air. Uh, that, we believe, is going to take place prior to the seven-year Tribulational period that is to come, and that is briefly described here in Mark chapter 13. We also believe that following the tribulation period will be the second coming of Christ, where he comes to the earth and has a literal 1,000 year millennial reign on this earth. Uh, We would teach that and believe that the scriptures teach that. As a church, that's where we've landed on these end-time events, some of which Jesus is referencing in Mark chapter 13, specifically Christ referencing the great tribulation period that is to come, his second coming that is to come. We would hold to a pre-tribulational rapture, then the tribulation return of Jesus, and then the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, understand this morning that there are many different viewpoints When it comes to eschatology, there are many different viewpoints on these things. Many brothers and sisters in Christ who, based upon their careful study of God's Word, have come to different conclusions, and that is fine. My counsel to you this morning would be for you personally to study God's Word and come to conclusions based upon your careful study of the Word of God. Study the Scriptures and come to conclusions on where you believe God is leading you in your understanding about future prophetic end times things. If you'd like a deeper study in eschatology and end time events, I'd encourage you to listen to our verse-by-verse series in the book of Revelation that we preached on some time ago. It's available on our website. If you go to our website, you go to resources, you uh, click on sermon archives, you'll scroll down the page until you get to the series in the book of Revelation We did a verse-by-verse study in the book of Revelation that details with great detail end times prophetic eschatological events that you can see there. And we also, in that series, seek to present some opposing viewpoints, some viewpoints that we might not have landed on as a church, but an understanding that there are other viewpoints about the timing of these end-time things. And so I would encourage you to access that if you want a deep study on eschatology and end times events i think it would prove to be beneficial for you if you have interest in that now with all that backdrop and the context to the text that's before us today i want to spend the remainder of our time focusing in on six truths that we see in the text that are true not only of past events but will be true of future events but also are true in the present and i think it's going to be hopefully valuable for us this morning. So first truth I want us to see, this world and the things in it are temporary. This world and the things in it are temporary. It's interesting to me in Mark chapter 13 and verse Two, Jesus says to the disciples after they are just amazed at the wonderful stones and the wonderful buildings that exist in in, in Jerusalem, in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, they're amazed at this and they're telling Jesus, look at how beautiful these, these buildings are. Look at how gorgeous these stones are. And Jesus says to them, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is reminding them and, and helping them to understand that there was judgment coming on Jerusalem, that this temple that they, they were so impressed with would be completely destroyed, and it's a reminder yet again that these things that appear so pleasant to our eyes in this world are fleeting. They're not lasting. In addition, in verse 31, Jesus says in Mark thirteen thirty one, heaven and earth will what? Pass away, but my words will not pass away. Away. Jesus is going to reference in Mark chapter 13 the great tribulation period that's going to happen and come upon the earth and the destruction that is going to come with that. The book of Revelation will remind us that, that this earth that we know it will be destroyed with fire. There's coming a point of end to all of the physical things that we so often are so quickly putting our trust, our confidence, and our focus in. This world is temporary, and so are the things in it. This is why Jesus would remind his disciples, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on the earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Not on things on this earth. This earth and all that is in it is temporary. It is fleeting. It is passing. It will be destroyed. But God reminds us that his word endures forever. And I think it's important for us to understand something so valuable this morning that was true, not only in what Jesus was communicating to the disciples that day on the Mount of Olives, that that all of the things that they see and all of the things that they might take pride in or they might put trust in, that those things are temporary, those things will be destroyed. And the disciples' very lives, they would experience persecution, martyrdom, hatred, Anger, all because of their testimony for Christ, that the, even the very bodies that they were living in, even the very uh, uh, people that they were trusting in, would be ultimately destroyed. And yet, God remains faithful, eternal, and His word endures forever. This will be true of future events. It's been true of past events, and we need to be reminded and understand this is true presently as well. We need to be careful not to put our trust, our confidence, not to be living in that which is temporary, but rather for that which is eternal. Um, I, was going to sh- I-, I wanted to share an illustration this morning thinking ahead about the beach because I thought, well, it's spring break. And it will be nice outside, and, uh, and nobody would get too upset if I shared about the beach. But it's snowing, it's 20, but I'm going to share it anyhow. And so uh, I, I love in the summer, we go on vacation with my family. We go to the beach, my parents, my sisters, uh, our kids, we all go there. And when we're on the beach, I love when we're walking on the beach. And as we're walking on the beach, we see people who are making sandcastles. Have you ever watched as, as people made sandcastles? And some of them are pretty elaborate, they're pretty impressive. Um, You know, our kids, when we were very young and they were making it, we'd have like a bucket, you flip it over, it's like mud, and it's just like a bunch of like buckets, right? It's just a bunch of piles. But some people are like very artistic with this, and you look by and they like, they make, you know, a sandcastle, and it's such that you're like, man, you want to take a picture of that? You want to like frame it? It's gorgeous. But you know what happens to that sandcastle that's down by the water the next day when we walk that same route? It's completely gone. It's there for that day, And then tomorrow it's gone because the waves come and crash on to the sand. And that sandcastle that was so beautiful and took so much time and took so much detail is completely wiped away by one wave that comes and crashes down on the beach. It's immediately what I thought of when I thought about how temporary, how temporary and fleeting the things of this world are. And you see, there's a problem if you and I as believers in Christ who know of the things of eternity and the things that are yet to come, if we are placing our trust, our time, our energy, our efforts all on things that are temporary and that are passing, then we're placing all of that in the wrong place. I think it's important for us to understand this truth that the world and the things in it are temporary. There is coming a point of end to all that we see. To all that is of this world that we could put stock in or we could put our efforts in, our focus in, our time in, there is a point of end because these things are so temporary. But the things of God, eternal things, are where Jesus was asking his disciples and where we would be focused to put our efforts, time, energies into. The world and the things in it are temporary. Truth number two, persecution is an expected reality for the believer in Christ. I think this is so prevalent all throughout this chapter. Okay, Jesus is going to be addressing his disciples in verse 9. He says, be on your guard. They will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Jesus tells them that you're going to be hated, verse 13. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus makes reference to the disciples. He he predicts for them the reality that as they preach the gospel, as they stand for Christ, they will be persecuted. They will be hated by all because of him. And if you know and read the accounts of what take place to the disciples, if you read even Paul's letters where Paul was in prison so often writing to the believers in Christ and talking about all of the hardship that he would endure as a soldier of Christ, we see that Jesus was 100% accurate, right? 100% accurate in his prediction to the disciples that they would be persecuted by all for his name's sake. Persecution is an expected reality for the believer in Christ. It was true then... It will be true future tense as we read about the tribulation period and those that would be persecuted and martyred even during the tribulation period for their stance for Christ. But here's what sometimes we don't like to think about and consider. It is absolutely 100% true in the here and now for you and I as well if we are living for Christ. Persecution is an expected reality for the believer in Jesus. In John 15, listen to what Jesus said, very similar to in Mark 13. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus He's not like super kind here, right? He's talking to his followers and it's not something that they necessarily want to hear. You know, they're walking with Jesus and he's healing people and he's feeding people and he's compassionate and he's loving and he's kind. And, and you can imagine walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and you love him and you're committed to him and you're telling him that. And he's like, you're going to follow me. But listen, guys, I've got to tell you something. You're going to be hated by everybody because of me. You're going to be hated by everybody because you are not of the world. If you were of the world, you'd be loved by the world, but you're not. And listen, as a believer in Christ, if your ultimate goal, if my ultimate goal as a follower of Jesus is to be liked by the world, we cannot truly be committed to following Jesus and at the same time have as our priority to be liked by everybody that is in the world. It's not going to happen. Jesus reminds them of this. He says, listen, If you were of the world, you'd be welcomed in. You'd be loved. You'd be welcomed. You'd be a part of the team. But you're not of the world. You're not belonging to the world. And so therefore the world hates you. Therefore the world hates you. I remember just a couple years back going to a preseason football game up at Cleveland Browns Stadium. And went up to this preseason football game. The Browns were playing the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I proudly had my Buffalo Bills hat on and shirt on when I went there. And it did not take very long to know that I was not in Buffalo when I I went to that game. (laughs) There were Browns, this was when Tyrod Taylor uh, was the Browns quarterback. I think it was like the 15th quarterback in like three years or whatever it was. doesn't really matter, but, but Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback, and I remember guys sitting behind us in the preseason game, and they were referring to Tyrod Taylor as Touchdown Taylor. Touchdown Taylor was going to take them to the playoffs and ultimately win that Super Bowl for them, but, but I remember being there and thinking in my mind, like, do I cheer or do I not cheer when the Bills do something because I was surrounded By people who were not Bills fans, they were Browns fans, and I knew that I wasn't going to be obnoxious, I wasn't going to be, not that I would anyhow, but I'm not going to be loud, I'm not going to be too, I'm just going to kind of chill and just watch the game, because I was not amongst uh, friends when it came to that game. Have you ever been to a sports game or sports uh, stadium for your team? That when your team scores and you're surrounded by all of the, the fans of your team and they do something amazing, everybody stands up and whether you know each other or not, you're high-fiving, you might be given hugs. You, I mean, I don't even know, it, it's just crazy, the camaraderie. And the, it's like everybody's best friends because you're all cheering for the same team. And here's what Jesus is saying here. It, you are not part of the world. You don't belong there. The things that the world cheers for, values, participates in, and loves should not be true of you as a follower of Jesus. And so he says, therefore, the world hates you. Persecution is an expected reality for the believer. The Word of God tells us that anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, not might, but will, because we are not of this world. It's an expected reality for the believer in Christ. And so again, I I ask you to consider what is your ultimate goal? What is your ultimate joy as you live in this life? If it is to be liked, loved, accepted, and welcomed by everyone, even those that despise Christ and the gospel and the word of God, you must choose who it is that you will be serving. Because according to the words of Jesus, it's an expected reality for the believer in Christ. Number three, false teaching and false gospels are present and will continue to be present. This was nothing new. In Mark 13, 5 and 6 Jesus tells them, See, no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, not be alarmed, this must take place, but the end is not yet. Jesus reminds the disciples that in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their hardship, there will be many people who will be claiming to be Christ or of Christ. There'll be many false teachers. There'll be many that are trying to lead people astray. This would be true as well later on. And during the tribulation period, verses 21 to 23, Jesus makes mention, that there's going to be those that are saying, look, here is the Christ, there he is. Don't believe it. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But be on your guard, I've told you these things. False teaching and false gospels are present and will continue to be present. They were present during the day and age in which we see the scriptures written. Do you remember how often Paul had concern For the Thessalonian believers, he said, my fear is that you're being led astray by false teaching. The Galatian believers, who has bewitched you that you should believe a lie? The writer of Hebrews, not to fall back to the ways of Judaism in your former manner of life because that's not how you've learned Christ. False teaching and false gospels were prevalent then. They are prevalent now and they will continue to be prevalent. And we have to be on our guard. We have to be on our guard against this. There are many, many people who are teaching false Gospels, false Gospels that according to uh, Paul are no Gospels at all, really. They're lies. They are lies. And so if anyone is teaching any other Gospel than that which we have seen in Scriptures, the Word of God says that they should be accursed, they should not be listened to, they should be condemned, because there is only one name given among men, whereby we must be saved, and that is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is one true gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is it. One gospel that is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes, and that's through God's Son, Jesus Christ. False teaching and false gospels are present and will continue to be present. In Romans 16, 17, and 18, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Paul's making mention of the fact in he's writing. While he's writing this letter, present time that he's writing the letter, there are those that are seeking to deceive. There are those that are seeking to cause divisions. There are those that are teaching contrary to the teaching they've received. And he says they are to be avoided. Paul references it as present in the church. Jesus references it as future in the tribulational period. And we see it prevalent right now in the day and age in which we live. It's everywhere. There's a constant appeal in the world in which we live, to try to draw our attention away from Christ, to draw our attention away from sound doctrine, and some of it just sounds too good to avoid. I'll tell you what, any teaching that makes it okay for me to continue to participate in my sin, that is something that any ear wants to hear, isn't it? If someone's teaching something, they could say, hey, listen, that's not what God really meant. God didn't mean that. Here's what God actually meant. And it's like, really? I could participate in that and that's okay now? I, I liken it to if you've ever been into a, a different countries where they have a marketplace where everybody's gathered around. If you go to New York City, it's like this in New York City and, in Times Square, and, and depending on where you're at, there's all kinds of people that are there, and they're trying to vie for your attention, either to give you something to read, or to sell you something, or to, you know, people walking around be like, you want some sunglasses, you want a Rolex, like they're, they're, they're constantly trying to get your attention, Trying to get you to look. And, and I remember the first time I went to New York City, our guy that was there, we were doing open air evangelism, he's like, just don't make eye contact with people. And there's something about like when you're walking and you're like, I don't want to make eye contact, I don't want to, oh no! Like you're walking to them because you make eye contact. And it's like they got you, right? It's one of those things where they snag you in. Listen, this is what we are, are, are facing in the day and age in which we live false teaching, false doctrine, false gospels that sound great. And there's even some truth sprinkled in. And for a time, we can say, no, keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But then it affects us personally, or someone we love, or someone we care about, or it affects our our lives in a different way. And we just start to give a little bit of notice to that teaching and say, maybe that's not all bad. And it's prevalent in the day and age in which we live today. It will be prevalent in the future. It was prevalent for the early church. It's not going anywhere until the return of Christ, where he rules and he reigns. False teaching and false gospels are present. Be on your guard, and they will be present. We got to really hurry. Number four, God is faithful today, and he will be faithful tomorrow. God is faithful today, he'll be faithful tomorrow. Verse 11, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious before him what you're to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. God's encouragement to the disciples in the midst of the persecution and hatred and anguish and the face of your very lives being threatened to be taken from you because of the stance for me. Don't be afraid. I will be faithful. God is faithful today. He'll be faithful tomorrow. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, Paul said, The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Are you thankful this morning, church, to know that our God is faithful? His faithfulness is great. You and I have the assurance to know he's going to be just as faithful when you wake up tomorrow morning as he was today for you. Our God is faithful today and will be tomorrow. Again, I'm sorry we have to hurry. Number five, the judgment of God is real and it is coming. The judgment of God is real and it is coming. Verse 19 in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. The judgment of God is coming. The tribulation period, the great tribulation where the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth. It's coming. The judgment of God is coming. Second Thessalon, I'm sorry, uh, John three eighteen, Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is not something that's pleasant to share with people, but it is absolutely essential. That there is judgment. The judgment of God is real, and it is coming. The wages of sin is death. The judgment of God is coming. But number five, quickly as we close, the gospel will endure. The gospel will endure. The answer to the judgment of God that is coming is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The answer to the judgment of God that is upon sinful man because of their sin is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, in chapter 13, verses 9 through 13, when Jesus speaks about all of the things that are going to take place and being on your guard, and, and he says, but he who endorsed the end will be saved. There's salvation in Christ. There's salvation in Jesus Christ. Verse 31 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The gospel will be preached. The gospel will be proclaimed. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. It was true in the early church. It is true present day, and it will continue to be true. The gospel will endure. And so the question this morning in light of all of these things is, do you truly know and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ today? Great promises that we have from God. Great truths to consider this morning. The world and all that is in it is temporary. It's fleeting. It's passing. Persecution. It's an expected reality for us as believers. False teaching and false gospels are present and will continue to be present. But God is faithful today and will be faithful tomorrow. The judgment of God is coming. It is real. And the gospel will endure. It's the message that we have. It's the message that we proclaim might we be faithful in proclaiming that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the assurance, God, that no matter how bad things may get, we know that you are faithful, God, are still in control. Help us to trust in you. Help us to place our thoughts and desires on things above, not on the temporary things of this earth. And help us to be faithfully proclaiming to a lost and dying world the good news about Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we ask that you would use us for your glory this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.